Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 27th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. How are things going, Alex? Very good. Thank you, Graham. I know the weather has been pretty spectacular here, so I'm, I'm hoping that's been the case across the channel here. <laughs> Absolutely. Very spectacular. Yeah, amazing. I love this time of the year. Um, so what's happening in the MBA admissions world? I know I've seen some activity, uh, a lot of activity on clearadmit.com. So let me know what's, what's going on, which schools are doing what. Yeah, we actually saw a few interview invites come out this week, which was, or last week, I should say, which was really the beginning of the, the excitement for the year, I think. Um, Yale was, was one, of, one of those schools, and they do this every year, Graham, as we know. Um, right out the gate, they release a bunch of invites, and then things will die down a little bit for Yale, and then they'll start increasing again in terms of invites. And I don't need to go into any detail on how Yale all of a sudden is so quick at getting some invites out the door, but they managed to do it um, on, on a year-to-year basis. So a few of those have gone out, and we've seen Kellogg invites, but as uh, our listeners probably know, Kellogg are in, you know, they try to invite everybody for an interview. Yeah. Um, what you want to avoid with Kellogg is getting that interview waiver. That's never a good thing. Um, but yeah, a little bit of activity this um, last week, Graham. Yeah, it's fun to see. And I think actually you're raising a really good point, which is that if you didn't get an interview from Yale and you applied in the first round, do not worry about it. Like they, I, I, I don't know why, but they're always invites that come out um, in batches and things. So hang in there. It doesn't, it's meaningless. Like you, Dude, will, you know. dude, I got a feeling I know why. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think our listeners are that um, uneducated, but, you know, they pull the cream off the top right away, right, and get those invites out of the door, no doubt. It's possible. But I also think sometimes, you know, files need, you know, a couple of reads and, and some debate internally. Like not every candidate's sort of an obvious thing, right? So um, anyway, all this to say, a lot of invites go out over the course of the, the process here. So hang in there if you applied to Yale. Um, let's see, other stuff. Are there any, I feel there's still some deadlines coming, right, for round one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sloan's up this week, who's perennially one of the later big guns to have their round one deadline. Sloan this week, also Tuck. And Tuck has an interesting wrinkle with its um, first round because it'll guarantee if you apply in the first round that you will get an invite to interview. Um, so, so yeah, um, still, still plenty of action going on in terms of the um, app application front and it will be a couple more weeks um, until we start seeing a good flow of interview invites um, off of these round one applications. Yeah, makes sense. Um, over on the website, we did a, a profile about a kind of a story about the Columbia class of 2023 um, profile, which was, you know, Columbia released that to the world. And so we did a little bit of a breakdown on that. And, you know, one of the things I noticed is they went from 782 to 847 students across their um, full-time MBA and the J-term MBA. Um, so literally like right now coming to campus, they have 614 um, full-time MBA students who are going to do the traditional two-year route. And then another couple hundred, I think it's 230 or so, will show up in January to do J-term. I did wonder if some of that is, you know, they just had a lot of great candidates, but also I think some of it might be related to them moving to their new campus. Um, so maybe they're going to have more space and that may impact things. But 
Um, there's some interesting stats. They're not yeah. seriously moving to their new campus, are they? They are. <laughs> well, uh, they've been talking about doing that for 25 years. Yeah, haven't it's they? it's um, the unveiling will happen this fall, I believe. In their um, the wow. students are going to be in the space, I think, in the starting in the January term. So that's that's the the plan. Um, I haven't yet toured the facilities or anything, but my understanding is that it's just about done. Yeah, so. They don't have a virtual reality tour on their website. Oh, they, they're, they're they must. missing an opportunity. No, I'm sure they do. I'm just saying I haven't. I didn't walk over there when I was in New York this summer to check it out or anything. Um, so yeah, and they also had some other. You know, 41% female, 48% international. I always envy Columbia because they're just. It's really easy for them to attract both international and female candidates. I think um, because New York is such a great place and. Um, you know, I think a lot of international students coming to America for an MBA, like would love to be in New York. So they, they you know, naturally gravitate towards Columbia. Um, they had about five years average work experience. GMAT score was up slightly. The average is 729. And then the GPA is a 3.5, which is actually down ever so slightly. So um, again, really impressive class. And um, they also had 40%, 40% of the US students are underrepresented minorities, which is, a, I think that might be a new high for them. That was up from only 33% last time out. So yeah, lots of cool stuff in that. And we'll continue to run those stories when a school publishes a class profile to help candidates kind of break them down and stuff. So overall, Graham, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, Wall Street Journal says apps had fallen off the cliff. Um, Poets and Quants refutes that. What, what is your take on, on the current status of app volumes based off of last year's class profiles? I think app volumes are healthy. Um, I think that yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, some of the top schools like HBS and Wharton had an uptick last season in volume. And then there are a couple of schools that had slight downticks. I think Columbia was one and maybe down a little bit. Um, Kellogg was down quite a bit, but I don't really, I discount that because they were up over 50% in app volume the year before. And so the fact that they fell off 20% from that is, it's, doesn't, it's kind of meaningless. Like, and I actually was talking to Emily Hayden, who's the director of admissions there, um, and she said that, you know, this coming, the class that they're just, um, have just shown up on campus now, that the application volume was the highest that they'd ever seen since 2012 or 2014, except for the year before when they were in the middle of the pandemic and they extended their deadline by a couple months and they waived the GMAT. So, um, I actually think volume is really healthy. Uh, I don't know. I can't predict the future. I have no idea, you know, where it's going to go in the long term. But I, yeah, I, I don't think the sky is falling at all. <laughs> I think there's still way too many people who want to go to these schools. <laughs> no, very good. Very good. I just wonder, I mean, that Kellogg situation is super interesting because, you know, the app volume did drop 20%. Did they shoot themselves in the foot a little bit by making themselves so accessible in the previous year with, with all, all the, the things that they did to sort of um, mitigate the, the, the COVID crisis? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it does seem like overall across all schools app volumes um, for, 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 for the incoming classes, it remained pretty healthy, very healthy, yeah. I should say. Yeah, agreed. So we'll see how it evolves, but always fun to track that stuff, especially for those of us who've been working in this space for a really long time. Um, I know we have uh, three really interesting candidates that we're going to discuss today. Um, I just had two housekeeping items that I wanted to mention to our listeners. The first is you got to go to clearadmit.com forward slash rankings wire. And it's a tool that's not yet publicly available, really. It's not linked on the site. But if you go to that address, you will find a new social tool. We talked about it last week. It just allows you to go in and rank the schools as you see them. 
um, you know, what, what do you think, like, what's your top 10? Um, and then you explain what are the reasons that kind of motivate your ranking, um, and you give a little bit of information about where you're located, that kind of stuff. Um, it's a new tool, and we're trying to get um, some entries into the tool before we tell everyone else about it. So please, if you're listening, take a moment and, and run over to the site and, and put in your entry. Um, it should be a lot of fun, and we're just trying to democratize the rankings a little bit. And then the other uh, housekeeping item I wanted to get to, Alex, is that we have an event this Wednesday at noon Eastern where I'll be sitting down with admissions directors from Yale SOM, Duke Fuqua, UCLA Anderson, UT Austin McCombs, and CMU Tepper. And it's just part of our essay event series. We did one last week that was a ton of fun, and we have one um, next week as well. So um, I just, you know, ask them questions about their essays. Where did they, how did they come up with the essay questions? What do they look for when they're reading the, the responses from candidates? So you can sign up for that at bit.ly forward slash essay event series, all one word. Um, and yeah, and, and Alex, I don't know if you uh, saw, but we got a review for the podcast in the last I week. I want to go back to these essay events. Okay, all right. <laughs> in, the, in the one that you did last week, what one thing did you learn, Graham? Let me put you on the spot. So, well, since we've been talking about Columbia a little bit on this episode, um, I learned, I was actually really good. We had Amanda Carlson, who's the Dean of Admissions at Columbia. So the absolute top, um, top of the, of the food chain there um, when it comes to admissions. And she um, really helpfully kind of dispelled a myth about the pick two out of three essay question that they have. You know, they have that kind of, um, I think it's the second essay and you have to respond to sort of two out of three short kind of answers. And you know, we've ta- I think we maybe have talked about this either on Clubhouse or maybe on the show, but essentially one of the questions is why do you, you know, why do you like Columbia? What do you want to do while you're here kind of thing? Um, there's another one that's sort of about DEI and a new program that Columbia has introduced as part of the core curriculum to help people um, better understand um, DEI leadership and stuff. And then the last one is, you know, talk about a movie or a book or a song um, that you really like and explain why. Um, and so there'd been some rumors going around that, well, it's Columbia, you got to answer the why Columbia question. And then, you know, oh, you probably have to answer the, the DEI one because that's very weighty and timely and serious, whereas writing about a book or... I, yeah. I, I, I have to say, I think if I didn't start that rumor, I certainly helped perpetuate <laughs> it because I do believe it. So now tell me why I'm wrong. So here's what happened. Um, they really just liked all three of these questions, according to Amanda. You know, they they had the song, book, movie one from, you know, they've been using that for a while. Um, the Why Columbia stuff's also kind of par for the course. But they wanted to introduce this extra one. And as a team, they met and they just said, well, why don't we just leave it up to the candidates? We'll just put all these three questions out there. And she literally said, don't answer the DEI one if you don't have an experience to share. She's like, it's not, we're not forcing everyone to write about that. You can absolutely write about a song or a movie or a book. Um, she also pointed out that it doesn't matter what the song, movie, or book is. It's really all about why it matters to you. Um, and so she was pretty adamant. She even said for the Why Columbia one, she's like, look, the first essay where you talk about your goals and stuff, a lot of people managed to work in some information about you know programmatic um, features of Columbia that are going to help them with their goals. And so she's like, you don't even have to answer that one necessarily if you've already tackled some of it in the first essay. So she really like emphatically said, answer whichever two you want. It does not matter. So that was her take. <laughs> very good. Very good. So uh, let's dive in. Um, I did want to say we got a really lovely review of the podcast from BG Fried. 
Um, and you know, the, the person gave us five stars and they said great advice on the podcast and the website. And they wrote, Graham and Alex are providing an amazing service with Clear Admit. Each episode of Wiretaps is its own interesting story, helping prospective MBAs like me figure out how to get into business school. And more importantly, think through why we want to get an MBA in the first place. I was fortunate to have my profile featured on Wiretaps 179, and their advice helped me focus my school selection, and I'm already being invited to interviews. Can't recommend this enough to anyone trying to put their best foot forward as they, as they embark on their MBA journey. So I really appreciate that review, just um, touching to, to get those kind of things coming in, on the, you know, just to see them pop up and stuff. No, fantastic. But I hope they're not uh, applying to Tuck and Kellogg because everyone gets invited for an interview <laughs> from those folks. Fair, so, fair, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's hope. Um, but, but yeah, no, that, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. I, what, what strikes me about it, it says uh, Wiretap's 179. What does that mean, Graham? We must have been doing this for a long time now. Yeah, well, it's a little confusing because there have been 179 episodes of the Clear Admit podcast, some of which are one-offs where we talk about a piece of admission strategy or I'll like interview someone. Right. Um, so we know we're kind of over 100 episodes of Wiretaps because we celebrated that in the spring. But yeah, we're it's yeah it's been a it's been a long time. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't really have anything else. I think we should dive in. I know we're um, we've spent a lot of time chit chatting here, but let's get into these candidates that you've picked. Very good. Let's rock on. All right. So the first candidate. Um, is going to be, let's see, wiretaps candidate number one, an MBA apply wire entry that we received from a candidate who's hoping to start school next fall. Um, They're applying to five programs. They have Duke, Georgia Tech, Michigan, UNC, and Yale on the list. And they've been working for an environmental nonprofit, and we'll get into their work experience because it's pretty interesting. And post-MBA, they're thinking of either consulting or consumer goods, um, they're quite interested in um, kind of food and um, that sort of the sort of food space. Um, they've got Pepsi on their list as a target, Procter and Gamble, um, and then a couple of consulting firms in case um, that plan doesn't work out. I guess their GRE score when they shared their post on ApplyWire was a 315, but they've since gone out and retaken it and returned with a 321. So it's a 321 on the GRE, 3.87 uh, undergraduate GPA. And they've got five years of work experience. They're located in Atlanta, and they would love to be on the East Coast or in the Midwest um, after business school. And they gave us some additional details. That I can't share all of it because there's a lot here, but they studied anthropology at the University of Georgia with a minor in Arabic. Um, they did some interesting uh, work with a kind of a capstone project with Ethiopia. Um, they then did AmeriCorps Vista. They're currently um, working uh, at a big community forestry nonprofit, and so they're basically planting trees and, and doing a lot of coordination of that. Obviously, they're, they're a supervisor. Um, so I'll stop there. They, they did ask us some specific questions. They wanted feedback on their profile. They wanted to know, how do you demonstrate impact if you're non-traditional? And they're also curious if they have the right list of target programs. So Alex, I'm going to turn it over to you, but what do you make of this candidacy? Because it's not a traditional thing that we would see. Yeah, I don't think they do, Graham. You don't think they have the right target schools? No, no. Okay. Oh, I mean, I've they have good target schools. This, yeah. this candidate is super interesting, right? Um, so they, they got a 387 GPA, 321 um, um, GRE, uh, five years of experience, very non-traditional experience. So the big challenge for this candidate will be to show, and, and they, they did raise the point, how do I show impact? But to really show impact in what they've done, 
backed up by strong recs um, in, 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 in the fields in, in which they've been. The fact that they're non-traditional can play very well with the ADCOM if they execute correctly um, in that regard. So showing their impact, projects that they've done, I mean, there's got to be a myriad ways that they can do that. Um, you know, they talk about the COO was impressed by, by their leadership. Well, why was a CEO impressed by your leadership? What did you do that impressed them? So show, don't tell. Sort of, sort of notion, right? Yeah. I'm not even that worried that their ECs, extracurriculars are a little ho-hum just because I think, again, their non-traditional experiences are so interesting and they want to get further into this notion of sustainability. We know this is super important. I mean, my prime minister is telling the US president what to do at this point on this, which I think is quite <laughs> bizarre. But yeah. it's um, if, if Boris Johnson's upset about this stuff, it really must be important. Um, but but the point being, I really do think this candidate sits at, with a great opportunity um, if they execute well. So so how do they? How, what should they be doing? They're they sort of. I think they're waffling between applying round one, round two. I'd say you know what, just wait to round two. Yeah. Um, potentially take the GRE again if they think that they can squeeze a few more points there. Three twenty one's fine. Certainly for the schools that they've listed, 321 is going to be in the ballpark. That, that, that's not going to be an issue. But I think they should be a bit more ambitious. Um, concurrent to doing the GRE again, which they may or may not choose to do, do MBA math or HBS core because you've got a 389 GPA. You're telling me you're smart or a 387, whatever. This person's smart, but I'm probably not convinced on their transcript that they've got a lot of quant rigor. I'm not convinced on their work experience necessarily that they've got a lot of quant rigor. So really show me um, through HBS core or MBA math that you'll be ready to hit the ground running when you start my program, right? Yeah. So again, if they, if they squeezed a few more points on the GRE, if they did, took, took and did well in the MBA math or HBS core, applied in round two, executed well on on their applications, made a really compelling case for, for this sort of food sustainability um, issue that they're going after, then Graham, I, I, I'd be quite surprised if they're not getting interview invites at M7 programs at least. Yeah, I think that's the, the key theme here is that I feel like they could, um, yeah, look at schools in that very top um, rung. And I wouldn't say that they should only look at schools in that rung. And I did want to mention there's a couple of wrinkles here. One is that they are somewhat interested in some dual degree offerings um, like the Herb Institute at Michigan um, that would allow them to kind of tackle kind of um, sustainability issues, environmental issues and things while kind of in parallel with an MBA. Um, so that's great. But I still think, you know, they, they could look at some very high ranked schools, especially, um, you know, if they retake the jury, end up at like 325 or, or something. And, you know, the GPA is stellar. I also forgot to say this is a 26 year old, uh, black male. Okay. So, um, you know, that just puts them in the minority. They're definitely, you know, the underrepresented minority, they're applying via the consortium to some of the schools on their list. So I just feel like, um, sky's potentially the limit here. I feel like they, you know, they will need to demonstrate impact at work, like you said, and they're going to need to think through, like, what does that mean? Is it, um, you know, did they improve processes, um, with the current, um, entity that they're working for, like what sort of impact have they had 
um, in the in the communities that that um, forestry type service is is serving. Um, but I feel like yeah, there's a lot of room for you know success here and. I don't know. I'm I'm always I'm never super worried about extracurriculars because I feel like everyone has interests that they can um, you know kind of um, can use and and you know come up with a way to present to the committee. You know whether that's you know an interest in I don't know French film or you know sushi making or wh- whatever it is. It doesn't have to be always like a super formal thing. Um, maybe they go out cycling every weekend or belong to a cycling club or there are all kinds of things people do. So I'm I'm optimistic on this candidacy. I guess the thing I was wondering is like what push comes to shove, like what if they said to you, I can do either MBA math or the GRE retake? What would you suggest in that instance? Probably MBA math, HPS core. Yeah. I I want this person to really show that they're going to hit the ground running academically. They are smart, so I'm not dismissing that. But but on the quant side, I, I, I would do that. I guess my whole point here, Graham, is here's a candidate that's could very easily get into the programs they have on their target list with what they have have at this point. Absolutely fantastic. And I think, like you say, Ross is a very, very good program. So that may well be the right program for them, um, do Fuqua and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, with if, 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 if they presented their best candidacy, which would be include maybe one of these prep courses and, and so forth, then I, you know, they, they, they could either be aiming higher or looking at more scholarship opportunity. It's one or the other, right? But, but why wouldn't you? Yeah, agreed. Um, so I want to thank that person for sharing their background. They gave us a lot of um, good information. And, you know, I think it can be challenging when you're, you know, I mean, they're working in things like, you know, landscape design and government agency approvals and, you know, engaging with the community. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff they're doing that's just not um, what you might see an investment banker doing or something. So they just have a really different background. Um, but I still think it's going to be, you know, they can showcase that um, and, and, and demonstrate impact. So uh, again, thanks for that post. Thanks for picking it out, Alex. And, and, and just, just a last point on that, because that is a good point as a non-traditional candidate. One, they're not surrounded by MBA, so they don't have that sort of MBA culture to, to help them sort of on the way through the application process. Yeah. Secondly, they, they really need to show, again, that the type of work they've been doing is comparable in terms of, again, their impact and what they've been able to accomplish um, than, than other sort of more traditional MBA pathways. Um, and, 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 and so on and so forth. So I, so I think that, that second point, you know, really make sure that your recommenders are on board with this and can really provide additional value in, in the admissions process. Because sometimes the non-traditional candidates, their recommenders really kind of let the, their application down a little bit. And it's not through any the fault of the recommenders. They don't know necessarily what they need to be doing to make sure they're supporting the candidate to the best that they can. Yeah. Um, an MBA candidate from a traditional field, those recommenders, they've all got MBAs. They know the, the, drill. the, the score, they know what to do, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I actually, um, I just noticed in the description they gave us, and now I think I know why you picked them as well. They So they have some outside activities that they listed, and they're 
Um, they seem pretty strong to me. I mean, they're working with a kid's nutrition program. Yeah. Um, they're doing freelance landscaping. And I just picked up on something that you must have noticed, which is that they homebrew their own hard cider. So maybe that was... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure they need to necessarily include that. I'm currently making my own slow gin, but that's, oh, wow. that's, that's a very easy process. You just stick a bunch of slows in a bottle of gin and shake it up for a few months with a bit of sugar. But... <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, so anyway, let's move on to the next, but that's a really interesting canister that you know yeah. has to do some things to fit in in terms of you know bolstering the quant side yeah um, all right so this is going to be wiretaps candidate number two so it's another apply wire entry that we've received and again this person's hoping to start school next fall uh, they've got seven schools on their target list and those schools are cambridge cornell dartmouth duke oxford ucla and usc marshall um, they've been working as a sales operations manager and in, basically in supply chain and operations, um, pre-MBA. And they would love to land in either tech, pharma, or consumer goods. And they have a bunch of companies on their list, which include Amazon and Unilever and Apple and Google. Um, they've been working for five years. Uh, they have yet to take the GMAT exam, um, but are planning to do so soon. And they have a GPA of 2.93. Uh, they're located in Brazil. And they would love to land either on the west coast of the U.S. or in England, Alex. Um, and they, you know, I just want to provide a little bit of context on the GPA. They went to what they referred to as one of the top three universities in all of Latin America. Um, and they're 2.93. Um, they know it's a downside in their application, but it actually puts them, uh, there's no great inflation. And they mentioned that the average GPA of the class is much lower than that. So they're above average, um, but I just wanted to put that out there. And then they also mentioned, um, they left us a nice note. They just said, I love the podcast and I've been listening to it for the past year. Thanks for all the guidance. Um, and this is a Brazilian female candidate. So Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? Well, I'm gonna make a couple of assumptions here, or at least one assumption that the work experience is very good. Um, and that sort of, becomes the core strength of this candidacy. Um, I like the profile, Brazilian female, that, that's definitely, you don't see that profile necessarily overrepresented in the pool, so that plays well um, for this candidate too, I think. Um, let me ask you, Graham, what, what would you say is the, fifth, the, the median um, GPA in, in the US right now for undergraduate degrees? What's the median GPA? Oh, geez, I, I don't know, but I, I'm... I'm scared to say that it's probably over a 3.0. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to be over a 3.0, At least for, right? If we're talking about the types of schools that, you know, people come out of and then often go off to grad school, it's yeah. probably, yeah, it's, yeah, it's high. Probably 3.3 three, three, three or something like that, maybe. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> so, so this candidate's basically making the point. She's above the median. Yeah. Um, even though it's a, 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 a 2.93. So, so it's going to be important that the adcom recognizes there's no grade inflation here. And I assume that they'll, they'll recognize the undergraduate um, um, university, given it's the third best in, in Latin America. So that, that will be helpful. Again, I hate to say it, Graham, because I'm getting no commission from these programs, but this looks to me like the classic case of do HBS core or MBA math really show now to the adcom that you're ready to hit the ground running. And you're also showing that you have the, 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 the self-awareness and the instinct that this is the right thing to do to maximize your opportunity. I think, Graham, this is a candidate that the adcom wants to admit. 
Yeah, I was really blown away, and we didn't get into it too much yet, but her professional experience is really impressive. Um, I mean, she's, you know, doing um, supply chain and and that kind of stuff, and that's, um, how do I put this? It's not like super common, A, but it's also, it's not typically viewed as like the kind of sexiest thing to be doing, right? People don't, there aren't a lot of candidates applying to business school saying like, I can't wait to get into operations and supply chain management. And yet um, her goals do sort of revolve around that. And so I find that quite appealing. Like, I think that's going to help her to stand out. Um, And I think, you know, she's, she's versatile. Like she's willing to work in a number of different industries in an operations type role and yeah, I mean, there's a long list in the post that she left um, of, you know, I mean, she's leading an organization of, she's got, I guess, two managers that she's, um, let's see, what did she say? It's something about, uh, yeah, she leads an organization of two managers and 16 people. Um, I mean, she's, you know, she's doing pretty important stuff. And, and I think, well, as you said, that's going to be the centerpiece of her candidacy. Hopefully the recommendations are really strong and support that. I'm, I don't know why, but I'm not like freaking out about the GPA, especially if she, like you said, if she goes and takes one of these classes, um, if the GMAT comes in at a nice level, I think she really should aim to hit 700 or better. Um, and the main thing that I thought of, which is maybe similar to our first candidate, is, is she aiming high enough? I mean, she literally states here, um, where is it? She said, I have not included... As my GPA is low, I have not included in my list any M7 schools. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the right approach. Like, I think I would still include one or two and just spread her odds. Like, I I wouldn't only apply to M7. But, yeah, so I don't know if you agree. But It's standard uh, application strategy. Let's say she gets admitted to all these programs. What's she going to do then? Because clearly in the back of her mind, she'd be like, wow, maybe I should have aimed a bit higher. Yeah. So so the point of your application strategy actually is to aim high enough that you ultimately get denied at one or two programs so that you know that the programs you got admitted, you maximize your opportunity. Um, on In that regard, you know, they want to be on the West Coast or in, in, in the UK. So LBS and Haas were a couple of the schools that I threw out there. And I would consider LBS comparable to M7. Yeah. Um, you know, European M7 comparable versus, you know, and, and Haas, despite what you sometimes state, Graham, is not quite in the M7, right. but is definitely close to it, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think she could be a bit more aggressive with the target schools. She's going to have to hit that 700 GMAT if she also does this MBA math. And even if she can't get all that done in time, indicate in the optional essay that you're planning to do it in the spring or whatever it might be, show the schools that you have that the, the wherewithal to do that. Yeah, I I think this, this can be a very strong candidate, Graham. Yeah, I agree. I think I can already see the optional essay. You know, it's sort of yeah. like, I you know, um, she can share her class rank. She can share the caliber of the institution and the amount of, you know, the the, the studying that she did. I mean, it sounds like it was pretty rigorous. And um, and then mention, I've pre-enrolled for HBS Online Core or, or MBA Math or whatever she wants to do. Mm. Um, again, I, I think if she comes in with like a 650 on the GMAT, maybe the conversation shifts a bit because then we start to get some kind of question marks. But I feel like if the GMAT is close, everything else should line up nicely for her. And I would apply to, you know, a range of schools. And Haas and LBS were absolutely on the list as I was thinking of them. I was going to say, and I know she doesn't really want to be um, East Coast, but I was going to suggest Wharton, given their operations strength. Mm. I mean, they're a yeah. really good school for operations. And I mean, MIT is another one. I recognize she seems focused on like West Coast, but 
you know, those are good schools. And there's many a graduate from MIT and Wharton who land on the West Coast for a job if that's where they want to land. So um, Wharton even has a campus, right, in San Francisco. So I think, um, yeah, again, she needs to probably aim higher is the general message here. And she should buckle down in the meantime and get that GMAT taken care of. Very good. Very good. Best of luck to the can to, to, to this, this, this candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn our attention to Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is an apply wire entry and it's unique in that the person is only applying to one school. They want to go next fall. They've been working in healthcare IT and post MBA, they want to stay in tech. Um, they, you know, They've got seven years of work experience in this kind of IT type role. They're located in LA. Um, they have a 3.6 GPA. And they mention in their notes that they're applying to USC round one. Um, and the reason that we selected this candidate is because they don't have a GMAT score. And they indicate in the note that they've requested a waiver. So we had some back and forth with them. Um, Alex, maybe I'll let you kind of take us through some of that. but. This is a, the, the big question is, you know, should this candidate have applied with a request for a waiver on the GMAT and, and how might that impact their candidacy and, and are they going to get a waiver? I think they'll get a waiver, Graham, because I think, why would, you know, if, if the school offers a waiver, they'll give you a waiver, right? I mean, I don't know if they automatically give you a waiver, but Perhaps. At, at the end of the day, it's up to the candidate to make sure that really are they doing the right thing by requesting the waiver? Because what the waiver will do it will eliminate a, a, a component of the application that could be useful to highlight various characteristics or so forth, right? So the what we like about the GMAT is it can really show that quant proficiency at this current stage and so on and so forth, right? Um, so let, let's a, a deeper dive in, in, particularly into this candidate. They, they're only applying to Marshall. I, I'm guessing, and this could be out on a bit of a limb, but they're, they're probably, they're wedded to, to LA um, that's where their career is, maybe their family life and so on and so forth. So, so Marshall is their, their, their only option, uh, potentially other than Anderson or, or whatever, but they, they've decided Marshall. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There'll be plenty of top tier candidates who are only targeting one school because they're not relocating and it makes perfect sense for them. So that's perfectly um, admirable. Um, in, in, in this case, I'm assuming that their career is very good. They've done very well. Um, the wrinkle here, Graham, is their undergraduate degree uh, is in, I think it's in music, right? It's in music performance and psychology. Right, music performance and psychology. So, um, and they did very well, right? They got a, a three, six, two. Let's assume they did that. That means they did very well. Um, and so, so I, I, I guess the, the concern is without that GMAT, is this candidate going to be able to present a compelling case for admissions at a top tier program? That's the question I'm going to ask you, Graham. Yeah, I worry because when I look at the fine print of the USC waiver kind of terms and conditions, they're pretty straight up that, you know, they'll let you request a waiver, but that you know, they use the test to get evidence of a candidate's like academic aptitude. And in like particular, I want to read off a line here. They say that, um, where is it? They say, 
Therefore, the basis for your waiver request and your response to the test waiver request essay should be grounded in a record of exceptional academic achievement that includes demonstrated mathematical preparedness. And so what I worry about is that I I really doubt that with a kind of music performance and psych undergraduate, that that transcript with the 362, which is a great GPA, um, has much evidence of mathematical preparedness. Um, And they even specifically call out the fact somewhere else on their website that um, professional experience is not really going to cut it. They're like, you know, you can mention professional experience, but we're really wondering about your academic achievement and your performance in quantitative coursework. So that's what I'm worried about because I think this candidate is basically positing the notion that because they worked in IT, very technical roles for like seven years, that that's going to make up the gap and make the committee comfortable. Um, so I guess, I, I don't know what you think of this, but you were saying they'll probably grant them the waiver and maybe they will, but that doesn't mean they're going to admit them either, right? So it's sort of a two-step process and I feel like they're underserving themselves by not coming in with a test. That would be my point. So <laughs> again, um, whether they're trying to get in, into the round one or not, I forget exactly when Marshall, oh, Marshall's round one's not till October, so they do have time for that. But I would say, you know what, I'm going to be better served by holding my application, going into round two and taking the GMAT. Yeah, I hate to say They it, already did some preparation. Unfortunately, yeah. it was derailed by a, a dreadful family circumstance. So there's going to be some right. uh, sympathy for that. But round two plus a, a 700 plus GMAT score is going to be better than round one with a GMAT test waiver. Yeah, and I don't want this person to think that we're being insensitive or, or jerks. Like I recognize they had a family issue, and you know they, but which is um, terrible. Um, but I, I just if I put my admissions hat on and just think about this very cold and kind of calculating of the way that an admissions officer is going to have to assess this file, I'm just worried. I see a music and psych major. I want to see quantitative um, evidence, and and so. Yeah, I'm just worried about that request. And I, I recognize, I get it. It's like so much easier to apply to business school if you don't have to take this test. And it's funny because many of the people that I have been interviewing in these admissions director Q&As, we always ask them, what's the one part of your school's application process you would like to skip? And like invariably, they'll say, oh, I wouldn't take the test. <laughs> um, so I get it. But at the same time, I think this person's, um, if they really want to go to USC, I would take the test. Yeah, I think we agree on that, Graham. All right. Um, Well, I guess we've done it. We're at the end of our three (laughs) candidates for this week. Um, We'll do it all again next week. I did want to remind everyone, you can come and hang out with Alex and I and ask us questions in real time on Clubhouse every Thursday at noon Eastern. Don't forget, Alex, um, to to come to the next one. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, so we're we're always happy to chat um, in real time with candidates. And yeah, really appreciate Um, Everyone tuning in week in and week out. So please remember to rate, review, and tell everyone about this podcast because we love having you listen. Yeah, and I just want to add one final point, Graham. I think today we've profiled three candidates, and I think we've profiled three very good candidates. The key to each of these three candidates is present your best application. And each of the three candidates has a little bit of work to do in order to present their best applications. Yeah, really well said. And I think that's it's so cool when there's a theme across the three like that. So um, thanks for this is why you do what you do. Like you always pick out these oh great <laughs> these great candidates. <laughs> um, so we'll be back next week to do it all again. And yeah, thanks so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. Great. Best of luck. Stay safe, everyone.